Welcome to The Alignment Show, featuring conversations with folks who have taken steps to identify their highest values and align their lives around them. Time on this earth is not unlimited, and you may be seeking to make sure you spend your time on things that matter to you. These conversations will encourage you and support you in doing so. Now, let's meet this week's guest on The Alignment Show. And good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time it is in your part of the world. Welcome once again to The Alignment Show. This is episode number 47, and we'll be introducing our guest here in just a moment. I'm your host, Don King, as usual. And as usual, we want to uh, remind you that uh, we've got a book out there, The Way of the Three-Year-Old Why. Now, there is some movement within the publishing sphere. If you want to learn a little more about the book, here is a QR code on the screen. And for those of you who are listening audio only, you can go to donking.com. That's D-O-N-N-K-I-N-G.com slash 3-Y-O. That's the number 3 and the letters Y-O to learn more about the book. But its sequel is out there. We don't have a way of doing so quite yet. My next week's show will have that up there. But you will be able to download the first scene of Medium Well, if you would like. It continues the story of uh, Dan Roberts in a way, but uh, it may surprise you. Hope Roberts figures into that. And if you haven't read Way the Three-Year-Old Why, you don't know who she is. But uh, I think it's an interesting story, and that's going to be coming along. So uh, if you go ahead and check on donking.com slash 3YO, then you will be in a position to learn about that and to be able to get the link to download that first scene automatically. So that will be coming up. Now, we're talking about my book, but, you know, just here recently, we've had a lot of writers and authors on the show. As we always say in that case, this is not a show primarily about writing or about writers, but because the nature of the alignment show, where we are talking with folks who have taken steps to bring their lives into alignment with that which matters most to them. I think every writer I know has gone through that. And so it's kind of natural that we would have a lot of writers on. And I am happy this week to have with us uh, a writer as kind of a, a I'd have to say, a new writer. Uh, I'm getting to know him through our friend Noemi Barris. Uh, his name is Harrison Stockland. He is an American author whose take on the crime thriller genre has been called twisted originality. I'm really interested in that aspect of it. He incorporates real historical events and environments into his fiction novels as part of his signature style. And when you read his work, you can expect to be challenged, shocked, and left clinging to the very last line, something that cannot be ignored in what is often a world of bland, disjointed commercial fiction. So you know there's a lot of that going on these days with uh, AI-generated stuff. Um, our friend Joanna Penn says the way to stand out in today's market is to double down on being human. And I think that our guest today is exemplary of that. So without digging any further, let's find out how he got here. Let's welcome Harrison Stockland. Harrison, welcome to The Alignment Show. Hey, Don, I'm excited to be on this week. Very good to have you on here. So uh, 
you know, you, you heard the build up here about uh, the writer thing. One of the topics I know that you talk about on um, a similar podcast, you know, is uh, challenges facing young writers. So that key there is young writer. Um, yeah. they, uh, I hope I'm not putting you on the spot, but uh, what what age are you? I'm 20 years old, so I'm at the bottom of that young writer barrel, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and you know, it's always a touchy subject sometimes to ask people their age, yeah. especially those of us who have a few years on us, you know. But <laughs> yeah. but, but I, I, I have not had on the show, but there have been some – I know a writer who has put a book out and is uh, – a real book. You know, that's not a playbook. Right. Uh, 14 years old. And so wow. yeah, I'm always fascinated by people who know early in life what it is that they want to do. Because, uh, you know, writing is not easy, as I'm sure has been your experience. Um, mm -hmm. So what led you to decide that writing represented the best way for you to live your life? After all, there are easier ways to earn a living. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. Um, I think for me, it was a, a gradual buildup over many years trying to figure out how I wanted to express creativity. I mean, I've always been a creative person. I've always kind of had that photosensitive mind. You know, I've, I've been in love with movies for as long as I can remember. Um, and this is a little dirty secret about me as an author. I like movies more than I like books, which is not something you'll come across with uh, authors that much. But I watch movies all the time. I mean, I read too, but movies are my thing. I remember falling in love with Indiana Jones when I was 10 years old. And that's just something, you know, stuck with me. So that kind of visual creative process has been something I've always loved doing. Now, you yeah. fast forward to when you're 14 or 15 and you're trying to make a movie, uh, your budget is about $60 and you can't really, you know, <laughs> you can't really have all the explosions and the cool stuff, you know? Um, and, and so that kind of bums you out of that process. And then you try different things and, you know, nothing, I wasn't really good at a lot of other stuff. Like I liked drawing and I liked painting and like all the classic art school things, but I wasn't good at them. <laughs> um, and I, I tried, but I wasn't good. Um, and then COVID hit. And there was nothing to do. And I had, you know, played at writing, like you said, a playbook, right? Mm -hmm. I played at writing when I was younger, just, you know, school projects or this or that. And I didn't really mind it. Um, and then COVID came around and I was like, you know, it'd be kind of fun just to sit down and, and write something. So over, over four months during COVID with nothing else to do, uh, I wrote 130,000 page or 130,000 words, excuse me, wow. 130,000 word book. Um, and it's awful and no one else is ever going to read it. It's, it's the <laughs> worst piece of literature ever created. Um, but that kind of kicked off my, uh, that kind of kicked off my interest. I was like, man, I really love doing that. Like I spent hours and hours a day doing it. You know, no one was telling me to do it. I just enjoyed it. And so from there, I just I just kept going. And I, I, I wrote five books before I published Watch It Burn in uh, February of last year. So uh, there's a lot of backstory there. It wasn't just Watch It Burn. You know, I whipped up one day and I was like, hey, there we go. Um, it took a while for me to build up into that kind of uh, into that space where I felt like this is worth like it's a product. Right. So it's worth putting this product out. It's worth putting my name on it and showing it to other people. Um, so it took a while, but when I got there, I was, you know, I was thrilled and very excited. It was years and years of work kind of culminating in that, that one space. Absolutely. I, 
Gosh, there's so many things struggling to get out of my mouth right now. First of all, the idea that you wrote five books before getting to the one that you were willing to put out there in public, that that in and of itself is not all that unusual among writers. But for you to do that between the ages of 15 and 20, now yep. that's unusual. It's unusual for somebody to write one book during that period of time. Uh, it, it strikes me as of interesting uh exciting that that first book even though you you felt like it was not good and you know most of our first books are not yeah but one hundred thirty thousand words i mean you know a lot of first books come in at twenty thousand. you know yeah so i without spending too much time because as you heard us say this is not primarily a writer's program right. but I, i've right. got to indulge my curiosity a little bit mm. uh when it was going over a hundred thousand was that was that on purpose or was it just that you couldn't quit, you know, couldn't figure out where to go with the plot or because a lot of books are that length, yeah. especially in the genre in which oh, you yeah. write. Yeah. 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 No, it's not an unusual length. Um, I think what happened to me is kind of that classic author run on syndrome. I just didn't know at the time. Um, so really I would just pick up little ideas here and there throughout the day. And then I'd figure out how to inject them in the story. And that just made it super, super long. So there's all these weird things in the story that don't need to be in there. So it really should be 60,000 words, right? It should be half the size. But, you know, it's that first one. And I didn't really know what I was doing. That's the same, same story for the first five. You mm -hmm. just figure out what works by actually going through the process, figuring out, okay, I bit off way more than I could chew with this. This isn't my style. This isn't something like, you know, dystopian thrillers are great. That's, I'm not a world builder. That's not what I do. So, um, you know, learning those kind of things is, is what those first few books were for. And especially that first one, I really tried to cram as much into that as possible. So, yeah. So there's lots of different ways we can slice the whole uh, writing approach and people are all over the place on this, but uh, yeah. tends to be either character-driven, scene-driven, that is location-driven, or plot-driven. In other words, you got to have all of those, but there's one that comes first for a lot of writers. We mentioned yeah. Joe Penn a couple of times already. She tends to start with an interesting location. Stephen King tends to start with interesting characters and put them in a um, difficult situation. In writing those first five books, were you figuring out what drives you or did you know because of your interest in film? You know, even as a writer, you are, a, I would say you are a visual writer. You're thinking and seeing. Yeah. Is, is that, yeah. So, so, so at this point, what does it seem to you comes first for you as you come up with a concept for a book? Uh, definitely. I see everything visually. So, uh, and, Oddly enough, the ends usually come to me first, so I'll get the epilogue before I get anything else, and then I and then I just kind of build off of that, you know, like the uh, little grain of sand inside a oyster, you know, working on seeing if I can make it a pearl. If it doesn't turn out to be a pearl, I just toss it in the trash and move on to the next idea. Um, but generally, I would say my stories are character driven, uh, but I do enjoy having those strong scenes. I enjoy having those strong uh, plots for sure. Mm -hmm. um it would be it would be a toss-up between characters and plots i really do pour into my characters and i have a lot of characters in each book um but you could say like the three main characters in each book i really pour into them and i want them to be i want them to feel like genuine people that you understand and that you know at least you know about a third a third of the way through the story i want you to feel like you know these people um, mm -hmm. And I want you to be able to predict some of the things they're going to do, but I also want you to be surprised by some of the things they're going to do as well. 
um, that's what keeps you entertained, right? You, you realize, oh, maybe I don't know this person as well as I thought. And I think that creates a really, really fantastic storyline and it feeds into the plot. Okay, okay. And, and it, it is certainly a, a viable technique to start with where it's going to wind up. Reportedly, that's uh, how J.K. Rowling approached uh, Harry Potter. You know? mm. But then I've also heard uh, Rachel Heron has said uh, she is not a plotter. You know, there's this debate among writers, plotter versus pantser, or you're writing by the seat yeah. of your pants. Uh, discovery writer is the more polite term. Um, yeah. Rachel's very much a discovery writer. And so she has said, if she knows how the book is going to turn out, why should I write it? Mm. You know, you know where it's going to turn out. Do you have the plot in mind before you start writing? Or is it more, I know where it's going to wind up. I just have to build it backwards. You know, how do you approach that aspect of it? Does that make well, sense? I mean, there's, there's definitely a lot of gaps when I start between when I start writing and when I, you know, finish the manuscript and send it off to the editor, there's a lot of gaps in there um, that I have to fill through the process, but I have the general bullet points laid out. I would say if, if I had to be a plotter or a pantser, I would say I'm definitely a plotter because um, I know where it's going to end up. Um, and my response to why write it if you know where it's going to end up is, because the ending is pretty awesome. I mean, that doesn't change how great the, I mean, I understand if your ending isn't that good, you know, if it's just a boring, you know, ending um, or, or the epilogue is 15 pages long. Like I love to inject the, uh, the uh, final, uh, I guess my, my, in my stories, they, they get a little brutal sometimes and uh, most times. And I like to inject the final, the final gut punch in the epilogue. That's one of my favorite things to do. I like to leave you kind of doubled over on that last page. And, and so I think that's definitely worth writing, even if I you know, know about it for the four or five months it takes me to, to get that done. So, Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, I, personally, I relate to that. Uh, I'll, a little secret out about me, I guess, personally, uh, before I buy a book, if I'm browsing on the shelves, especially I'll pick it up and I'll turn to the last part. I want to know where it winds up <laughs> because as I'm reading the book, I want to see how the writer develops it. Mm. And so in my own writing, I kind of follow that same, same approach. Uh, the excitement for me is in how do I get from here to there? And yeah. kind of, kind of sounds like the same thing. Uh, for you, of course, readers don't know where it's going to wind up. Most most don't turn to that last chapter the way the way I do. Oh man! Well, so um, what? Um, and as a a writer, of course, there's yeah. multiple hats that we wear. Uh, your your imprint is uh, Gun Monkey Productions, which mm -hmm. uh, the logo I love. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, right. Uh, I'm I'm curious about. Did you come up with a logo yourself? But but this is a minor quest, you know, just curiosity. Yeah. yeah so the, the the real the real quick skinny on that. Uh, like I said earlier, growing up, I loved the drawing and stuff. I just wasn't good at it. Um, so I idolized one of my uncles is a is a designer for 3M. So he's an amazing wow. artist. Like he's top tier. He does cartoons and all this stuff. So I said, hey, this is the name of my company. I'd love you to you know whip up a logo. Um, I, I think it'd be super special if you did the logo for my company. You know, just like. You know, I always loved his drawings when I was a kid. And I was like, hey. And so he he just whipped that up first draft. And I was like, this is perfect, right? It's a, for those of you who don't know, it's a chimp uh, smoking a cigar with a Uzi in his hand, which is just a submachine gun. So it's a 
it's a pretty on the nose logo for the name of the company, but it's, it's, it's pretty neat. So that, that's the fun little story behind that. Absolutely. I think I can get that yeah. up here on the, uh, let's see, is this, yeah, here's, yeah, here's your great. website. Yeah, there it is. Right and there. you kind of see it up there at the top. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's an attention getter here. And of course, this yeah, is your latest yeah. book that we're seeing on yep. the screen, which we'll we'll talk a little more about that in just a moment. But as long as we're on the website, I mean, both of the books are right here on uh, official Harrison Stockland dot com. Stockland is S-T-O-C-K-E. OK, so again, we'll we'll come back to it because we want to show that some more. But um uh, the, you know, the logo there gives you an immediate sense of what you're talking about, the nature yeah. of the, the thrillers Absolutely. that you're writing. So um, what uh, what would you say is your long term vision? There, there are there are writers who sold well with one or two books, but, you know, they they, they quit writing or whatever. Then there's yeah. others that have been writing for 43 years. You know, so uh, are you going to, I don't want to phrase it that way, but I can't think of another way to phrase it. Are you going to stick with this, Harrison? You know, I, like, like, is this what you want to do with your life? Or you want to move broader? Yeah. What do you think? Well, I think, uh, so vision wise, I mean, you mentioned vision earlier. Um, I definitely have two concrete visions for this. The first is being, I want to release two books a year for the foreseeable future. Okay. Um, that's doable for me. It takes me about three to four and a half, five months to finish a manuscript. Uh, that includes going it over it a couple times myself, filling in gaps, making sure there's no continuity errors, and then sending it off to my editor. Um, I have an amazing editor, by the way. He's credited in uh, November's Whisper. He didn't do the first one, but he did November's Whisper. So if anyone out there wants an amazing editor, you can go go check in there, figure out how to get a hold of me, and I'll hook you up with him. But uh, anyways, so it takes me about five months to get a book done and then another month in kind of post-production you'd say the cover's getting finished uh, that's another thing so i'm self-published so I, I i design all my own covers you know with an artist uh, again different artists um have my editor take care of things um and then we get it all set up and get it released so two books a year is very doable for me and um I have way more than two stories a year worth of content that I need to put out. So I'm behind already. I've got about a queue of about six stories that I know I'm going to write. So that's, you know, if you do the math, that's three more years of, of books that I've got already set up. So there'll be content coming out for a while. And the second pillar of that vision um, is I want to perfect the crime thriller, but I also want to step outside the genre. So um, a little inside scoop for you here. Uh, the next book coming out is a Western. So I grew up on Westerns. I loved, you know, all the old spaghetti Westerns, Bonanza, Gunsmoke, Rifleman, all those old shows on MeTV. Um, so I wanted to pay homage to that. And so the next book that's coming out is a Western. So I'm stepping outside the genre, right? But in a way, I'm not really because it it's about bank robbers, right? It's about that classic kind of tropesy Western story. So it's still a crime thriller. It's just, you know, 150 years uh, before today. So, um, but yeah, I want to, I want to be able to step in and out of the genre as I, as I please, as I come up with stories that, that fit in and out. Like I definitely see myself doing some uh, drama type stories that are, that are not necessarily focused on police investigations or, or mobsters or detectives, like those kind of things. Um, mm -hmm. So I want to be able to do that because I think that's very important. If you get stuck kind of in one rut where you're writing 
about the same super secret agent man for 25 years, I think you kind of fall off a little bit and, and, it, and it starts to become the same story over and over again. And you're wondering, why is this guy 25 years old when his first appearance was in 1986? You know, and it's, it's 2023. <laughs> and why has he never died? And why has he never gotten into, you know, you start asking those questions and that's something I, I don't want to do. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, and it's interesting because uh, the advice that writers get constantly is that in order to leverage your sales higher, yep. stick to a genre, mm. but hardly any working writer I know actually does that. And I mean, yeah, I've, I mean, I've mentioned a couple of them here already. Rachel Heron has uh, five or six genres. She writes in Joe Penn, uh, Mark Leslie, the fave, you know, all, all of these folks, they know the advice, but they don't stick with it because the whole yeah. reason for writing is that creative outlet. Mm. Um, and it sounds like you're fitting right in with that. Now uh, yeah. for listeners. Okay. Here's something that I've been hearing a lot lately. This is one of the changing landscapes. Harrison mentioned that he's independently published. You know, uh, with, some people say self-publishing. I tend to avoid that term because sometimes people will think it's the same as vanity publishing. And it's yeah, not. Right. I mean, it's, it's yeah. professional publishing. Okay. That's a great but point. But because yeah. of the impact of independent publishing, the brand is Harrison Stockland. Mm. There will be people who will read anything that Harrison Stockland writes, whether it's Western, nonfiction, whatever it is. So you're, are you consciously building a brand? You, I know your mother is in business. You've got the uncle who's in business. How much does the business consideration come into the decision to build the Harrison Stockland brand versus sticking with a genre? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think I have a bit of an advantage when it comes to independent publishing um, on the business side of things. Uh, like I mentioned to Don earlier, uh, my mom is a business coach. So if I fail at business, it makes us both look bad. <laughs> we make that joke a lot. Um, like We both look really bad if I fail. Um, but that being said, I grew up in a family where um, industriousness is, is, was a very valuable trait. Um, everyone in my family is very industrious. Um, my dad has been uh, top-level corporate America for as, as long as I can remember. Uh, my mom has been an entre a very, very successful entrepreneur for as long as I can remember. My sister, um, not so much in the business side of things, but she's 18 years old. She's my younger sister, and she is... Uh, ranked eighth in the world for Ironman triathlons. Uh, wow. For those of you who don't, don't know, that's a 160-mile triathlon. Like, that's a huge race. Um, she yeah. just competed in the world championships, and she's going to the uh, pre-Olympics in Spain next fall. So my whole family is is very on this uh, go-getter uh, level. And so that's been very helpful for me. But uh, back to the business side of, of indie publishing, um, I think where I get some advantage is that I have the mindset uh, that this is a business. You know, I'm not the I'm not the type of writer, and and there's value in this because some of the the best content we get is from people like this. But I'm not the type of writer that wakes up at you know 10:30 in the morning, rolls out of bed, kind of watches some TV for a while, writes a couple paragraphs, plays video. Like I I don't really do that. I just get up and go. Um, I write at least a thousand words a day. Um, and that's after I get home from my full-time job. So, uh, you know, there are some sacrifices you have to make there, but that's just, that's just the way forward. And like Don has been saying, this is a labor of love and you just kind of keep pushing through that. 
Um, and that business side, that business mindset and those resources I have really give me kind of a, a foot up because I understand that behind the really fun, cool book uh, that I wrote, it's really exciting. There's numbers and there is sales and there is profit and there is cost. And it's all like, you know, it costs money to independently publish. Like you said, but I like that difference between independent publishing and vanity publishing. I like that. I've never heard that differential before. Yeah. Um, but when you're independently publishing, you're spending money on your business. I suppose when you're vanity publishing, you're probably spending money on yourself. So instead of buying your new Louis Vuitton bag, you know, you publish a book and you show all your friends and this, that, and the other thing. Well, and, and, and let me just interrupt real quick yeah. for all yeah. listeners. Uh, vanity publishing has been around for a long time, but the the business model for the publishers there is – you pay us to print your books. They're offset mm. printed and you stack yep. them up in your garage. And, and there's, uh, you, you know, there, there's, they don't really care whether you sell the book or not. Right. You know, and so um, that's why Vanity Publishing can have a, because they'll print anything, you know, they'll, they'll oh, yeah. print I mean, schlock. you're paying them. Of course they will. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and and in, in the case of independent publishers, you hire your own editors, you hire your mm. book, your cover designers and all that kind of thing. So, yes, you are spending money, but you are doing it as a business person like you're talking about here. You know yep. your market. Um, it, it is it's the equivalent of being a small press. Oh, so now yeah, I know absolutely. Harrison knows this. I just want to make sure anybody listening, you know, understands that difference there. So mm -hmm. sorry to interrupt, but uh, no, no, go ahead did. with it. There. Yeah, no. So I think that kind of gives me a little bit of an edge. Um, I'm looking at this from more of a bird's eye view than I would say most uh, other independent publishers I've met uh, are. And I think that that will give me an advantage long term just because I'm looking forward. I'm looking down the road for the next year, the next three years. You know, like I said, I have those stories lined up, figuring out which which order I want to write them in, release them in. All that is very important. So, um, yeah, I think it just gives me a little extra layer of foresight there. That makes a lot of sense to me. What uh, what advice would you give to somebody? Uh, and let's let's put it in the context of your age. Uh, I'm. Just to give me quick context, are you doing college or you've gone straight to the workplace? I've gone straight to the workplace. So, okay. Uh, okay. yeah, right out of high school, I won an internship in Washington, D.C. So I was out there with a trade association for five months. Um, and that was amazing. I love that. Um, and to get a, actually get a job out there with those folks, they wanted me to go back to school and go to college. And that's never really been something I've been super interested in. So uh, I moved out here to where I live now in Middle Tennessee. Um, and I work full time, um, like you said, straight into the workforce. So uh, it's it's very interesting building a career in in two different kind of lifestyles. But it's 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 been a lot of fun and it's been a huge learning experience for sure. I don't feel like I'm 20 most days, um, mm. but then every once in a while I get a get a crude reminder when I try to rent a car or something like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I always tell people when I'm not I'm not I turn 21 in June. I'm not super excited about hitting the bars and stuff. That's just not really my thing. But uh, mm -hmm. I am excited to get access to some of the places that I. it's just absurd. I can't go in now, you know, or like trying to adopt a dog. I'm not old enough to adopt a dog, which is crazy because I have my own house. Like I, I, I own a house. Why can't I adopt a dog? You know, so there's stuff like that that <laughs> just kind of bothers me. But um but yeah, anyways, so. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, there's all kinds of ageism there. So uh, but yeah. the only reason I asked that question was. um a lot of people at your age, 
how, how should I put this again for context for for regular listeners know this, but you might be stumbling across this podcast. Um, I in my day job, I teach college uh, and that's not why I'm asking about college, Harrison. It's just that the, this is the age group that I'm around a lot. Yeah. And so a lot of 20 year olds are still walking around trying to figure out what's their reason for breathing. You know, I mean, the, and, and you've got so much figured out at this point. And so that's why I'm asking for the question. If you were talking to somebody your own age yeah. who's trying to figure out what the heck am I here for? What do I need to do? I'm not saying what would you advise them to do? It's mm -hmm. how would you advise them to figure out? Yeah. what matters to them so that they can get their life on a satisfying track. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I certainly don't have it all figured out. <laughs> um, yeah. I have those questions myself every day. Um, there are days where I'm like, man, this writing thing, but like for the most part, it's a labor of love. What I would suggest is that you just try stuff. I mean, that's kind of what I've been doing since I was young. My parents always encouraged me to do that. They're like, try it. If you don't like it, you don't have to do it twice. That's one of the best little expressions I've heard. You know, most times if you don't like something, you don't have to do it twice. So just try it. If it, if it even appeals to you a little bit, give it a shot because there's definitely going to be some value in there and you're going to find things that you love that you never, never even thought of before. So. Absolutely. Well, yeah. and I'm looking at our time before we get too far gone here. I do mm -hmm. want to talk about the books themselves. I think an okay. easy way to do that. Uh, let's put up the, the, the Amazon, let's see oh, here. I can, I can get to it most easily here. Here's all the books. Amazon certainly not the only book place out there, but it's a big one. It's easy to reference. So we'll put yeah, links to the books too. in the show notes, folks. But uh, we've got two of them out there right now. Watch it burn and november's whisper and one of the things by the way i see that uh harrison is on the cutting edge here you might notice there's a watch it burn collector's edition i mean there's a lot of authors that go a while before they figure that aspect out yeah so <laughs> well that uh, was that was kind of a funny story because i had to submit a uh my hardcover got jacked up in post-production so i had to submit a a new version but i couldn't use the same title so i right. had to just figure out how to wing it and that's that's what you get so if, if you want to get in on the ground floor if you want to get out on the first level you can buy that collector's edition it'd be super cool so very good <laughs> you, you know i mean can you imagine having gotten a copy of um of carrie you know when hey. it first came out i mean who knew at the time what stephen king would become so you know you could get a Harrison Stockland collector's yeah. edition. It's a true collector's edition here. Yeah. Uh, and uh, again, for folks who don't know the industry, you get things messed up, have to put a new title out there, new ISBN, the whole bit. Uh, it can be kind of frustrating. Yeah, yeah, that's the same. I mean, I could go on for hours about the, the frustrations, but hey, it's 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 all worth it. Something I would like to mention real quick about ordering books, if. You order from my website, it'll take a little bit longer to get to you, but I'll get it signed. And if you leave a note in your order, I'll personalize it to you as well. Um, all those orders go straight to me. The labels print out in my office and I, I sign and send those books myself. So if you order through my website, I'll sign it and uh, personalize it for you as well. Excellent. Excellent. Let's put that up here again. We've got the QR code on the screen for video uh, watchers. And if you're on audio only, the link will be in the show notes. 
and we can say it out loud really easily. It's officialharrisonstockland.com. You yep. just need to know that Stockland is S-T-O-C-K-E-L-A-N-D. But that link will be in the show notes, so that'll make it easy enough. That that's just a, that's a fantastic marketing approach to to offer the the signed copies. I mean that's yeah. Uh, I mean I figure if if you're gonna spend money on my book and I have the facilities to sign them and personalize them, I'm gonna do that for you. I mean I think it's it's just kind of a way to give back a little bit. So excellent, excellent. Well, there's always a, a question I'd like to ask as sort of a wrap up, uh, Harrison, mm -hmm. and that is. There's almost certainly something that you wish that I had asked that I didn't. Mm. What would that question be and what would your answer to it be? Mm. That's tough. I mean, you've been really great so far. Uh, I think if we have some time, I'd love to just talk about November's Whisper a little bit. Yes, please do, because yeah. that's the latest one. Um, uh, Watch It Burn came out. Both of them came out in 2023, I think, right? Yes, sir. And yep. Watch It Burn or, excuse me, um, November Whisper. No, November or November's. I don't November's have November's yeah. whisper yeah. came ironically enough, came out in October, I think. Right. November. Yeah. November. They did come out in November. Okay. Well, so that's, yeah, that's good marketing right there. <laughs> right. If it's in the title, I should, I should probably release it in that same month. I, figured I'd get, I would get some hate for that if I released it in December, you know? So, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Go ahead and tell us about that. Yeah. So, uh, Watch It Burn, just real quick on that one. That is a kind of a classic uh, mobster story with a huge twist. Um, if you love movies like Scarface, Goodfellas, like I said, I love these movies. I grew up on Scorsese. Like This is stuff I really love. So if you like that style, Watch It Burn is definitely something for you. Um, if you don't like blood or gore, uh, probably not, not your thing. Even though it is a book, uh, it's very, very violent, but um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, so if that sounds like something you'd like, uh, check it out because it's it's pretty cool. Um, November's Whisper is a little bit different. That's kind of a that's kind of a, a step back into the. I, I tried to do like that kind of L.A. Confidential style um, style of feel in a 1980s setting in small town Massachusetts. So November's Whisper. Um, is about an FBI profiler who is uh, sent down to Ipswich, Massachusetts, which is this wonderful little small town uh, 30 miles north of Boston. And he's sent down to investigate um, a set of murders that uh, appear to be linked and appear to also be linked to a murder that happened a few years prior. And it kind of goes through the whole investigative process. Um, he's working there with a, uh, as a part of a multi-agency task force with the state police and the local police. Um, so the three main characters are the FBI profiler, a local detective, and a state detective. So um, it kind of goes through their entire investigative process. Now, the neat thing about this book that I always like to tell people, because uh, I'm very proud of it, uh, is I spent over 100 hours uh, researching for this, which is kind of rare for fiction, especially um, uh, fiction in this day and age. So I interviewed multiple law enforcement professionals, detectives, all the way from the local level to the county to the state level. Uh, I actually interviewed a former head of a state police force um, and who, who also worked as an uh, investigator at a point in time um, up in that area. Uh, and I spent a lot of time with legal professionals. I actually have a connection here um, in the Nashville area with a former assistant district attorney. Um, so I spent a lot of time interviewing these folks, uh, a lot of time asking questions that directly relate to this story, because I wanted to make it as 
real as possible while still kind of, you know, you got to have some, some fictional elements in there, but I wanted to make it feel like, like it was a possible story, not some, something crazy, you know? So I really spent time in those interviews. And then on top of all that, the amount of reading research I did was, was insane. I read several, several books um, on this topic of profiling. Um, I even, I even have the uh, FBI's handbook from that time because it's different now but i have the handbook from that time um it was a very strange time for the fbi because they were transitioning from um kind of j edgar hoover's sort of iron fist leadership to 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 new leadership uh what you call like the more modern leadership because he ran the bureau for like 45 years so um one of those things that's that's very very interesting but um spent a lot of time researching so this book definitely has a lot of depth and a lot of layers to it and if you like true crime uh, this this is about as true crime as you can get while still being fiction. It feels like one of those true crime podcasts, you know, where they where it starts off in the you know the rainy days of you know 1979, and then you cut forward to 1983. Like this is one of those stories that I think that I think you'd really enjoy if you like true crime. So I have a little bit of something for a couple different audiences, um, but uh, they're both a lot of fun. I mean, I think if you enjoy crime novels, if you enjoy the kind of movies I described, you'll like both of these. Um, but yeah. I, you know, this brings up a question for me. Uh, sure. Writers will will do the kind of research that you're talking about. And even uh, this getting at the age thing again, Harrison, even oh, yeah. older authors, a lot of times will have trouble getting the police to take them seriously. You know, oh, yeah. they don't want to take the time to talk to some writer. You know, they're going to screw it up anyway. It's mm-hmm. not going to be good. Um, what There's a how to there's a what happened question yeah. here how did yeah. you get them to cooperate in the interviewing <laughs> and how did they react to the book when it came out you know did they say hey you know wow he did a good job with this yeah um so the first part of that kind of the how to um i don't think i got them to do anything i think it was more of just a i went into it with the foresight of knowing i'm 20 years old i look like i'm 20 years old right i'm not one of those 20 year olds that looks like i'm 30 I look very young. So, um, and I don't have a super deep voice. So all that stuff kind of factors in, but I, uh, I know I look like I'm 20. Um, so the only thing I kind of had left was like, okay, well don't talk like you're 20, you know, come up with good questions ahead of time. Be mindful about these interviews. Don't just like put it, you know, put it off, put it off and then just show up and be like, so what's it like to be a, like, you want to come in with like, really, you right. Like you want to come in you're laughing because you know, that would turn you off immediately. Yes. Um, oh, you want yeah. you want to come in with these questions that are well formed, specific, but also open ended. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna really ask yes or no questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've done like, the research ahead of yeah. time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'll usually like lay out the story, like, "Hey, this is the kind of story I'm writing. Um, I have questions about this, this, and this. Do you think you could contribute to that?" And and usually the answer is yes. Now, I did think initially I was like, "These guys are gonna be you know annoyed, frustrated, like this kid's." writing a story about like my career, my lifestyle, like, like he doesn't know this, that, and the other thing. Um, but that was kind of the opposite of what actually happened. I got involved with a lot of these guys and they sat down, they love talking about their careers. Um, they love talking about the ways they've helped people over the years. Um, and they really enjoyed kind of answering my questions because in a way, uh, most of the guys I talked to are retired. I talked to a few active folks as well, but most of the, questions I'm asking 
it, it kind of triggers this response in their mind, or at least I think this is how it goes. It triggers this response in their mind where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm in this investigation. Like I'm trying to solve this crime. So you ask them these questions and they're like, start like kind of laying out this roadmap for you of like, okay, well, if that happened, then did you, did they check on this and this and this? And I'm like, no. And then I write those things down. Like, this is how they would check on this and that. Uh, like uh, there's a part in the, in the, in the book with a payphone. someone makes a call from a payphone, and it ha- and it, and they're trying to track down who this guy was, which payphone this was. And I found out in uh, Northern Massachusetts in this time frame, the payphone system was kind of jacked up. So they could only tell which County the call came from. Hmm. So it was, it was very, and it, they got the County and the serial number for the phone instead of an actual phone number. Um, so that would make tracking down a payphone call extremely difficult because you'd have to manually drive to each payphone, check the serial number, which is 19 digits long, and then drive to the next one. And there's hundreds oh, and hundreds wow. of them, you know, thousands in these counties. Uh, these Massachusetts counties are massive. Um, yeah. So there's things like that that you learn that's like, oh, that's crazy. So that's in the book. Um, and I wouldn't have that without talking to some of these folks. Um, and so coming up with the specific questions that are open-ended so you kind of get that run-on answer that you want and they bring up different things and then all of a sudden you're at the point where it's like well hey i had something similar to this back in the day and this is how it kind of played out and this and that um one of the biggest things that was really cool um talking to the ada from from the former ada from nashville um he had lots to contribute on the legal side because that's definitely where i was lacking the most and that's the hardest to kind of figure out because it's very situational it's not as procedural as the police department it's very situational um Mm -hmm. because there's strategy involved and all these things and i had some interesting legal situations in my story um so there was a lot of help to be found there and i got some neat stories from you know back in the day and, and things like that um and then when the book came out the responses i've gotten from some of the folks i've interviewed some of them haven't haven't uh read it haven't picked it up they all have them i mailed them i made sure they got copies right off the bat um, yeah. Some of them haven't read it. Uh, some of them started it. Some of them finished it. Uh, I've only heard good things so far. So uh, I'm hoping it'll stay on that track. They seem to enjoy it. Uh, I want it to kind of resonate like uh, if you watch the show True Detective on HBO, where you watch that and you go, wow, this is really cool. This is great. And then you get to the end and you're like, that's crazy. That would probably never happen, but it's still super, super cool. You know, <laughs> I kind of want I kind of want it to have that resonation where like it feels real most of the time. And there's certain parts where you're like, that would never happen, but it's still really interesting. And if it did happen, it would happen exactly like that. Excellent. Excellent. All righty. So cool to see your process. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. So um, we are a little bit over time at this point. So if you will hang around in the green room for just a moment so I can thank you properly. But uh, here for our listeners, uh, I want to say thank you for coming on the Alignment Show. I think you are are presenting a great example for our listeners, even those of us who have a few years on us. It's inspiring. To remember yeah. how to figure out what matters most to you. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I, I enjoyed it. Absolutely. So I'll talk to you in just a second. Let's tell folks in the meantime, coming up next week on the Alignment Show, we have a, a guest by the name of Deb Keevan, and uh, she is an interesting conversation. She's somebody else that Noemi Barris has connected us with. Pardon me for breaking into the playback of our podcast, but I had a bit of brain flatulence there, mixed up a couple of guests. 
Deborah Keevan will actually be on the Alignment Show on February the 16th. That's coming up in a bit. And, in fact, Noemi Barris did connect us. Now, Noemi also connected us with uh, Deb Creer, and Deb Creer will be our guest next week on the Alignment Show. Wow, what a story they both have. Deb Creer is a cancer survivor who is making use of her experiences to help other people, and you're going to want to tune into that broadcast for insights into how you can make use of the challenges in your life to change not only your life, but others. So I'll be putting out some information about that. Be sure that you go to, and I've got, I need to put a different crawl down here. Remember that you can always get the show notes at confidencecultivators.com. It's up here in the upper corner as well. You can find out about this show. You can get the links. You can also see past episodes, learn about upcoming episodes. In any case, we hope that it is time well spent for you to help you as you are figuring out how to live your values so that you can value your life. We will see you next week on The Alignment Show. That's it for this week's episode of The Alignment Show. What has it inspired you to do in your own life? Whatever it is, take action now and take the first step. It will help you to talk with a friend about what you're thinking. Share confidencecultivators.com to spread the goodness. And remember to live your values and value your life. We will see you next week on The Alignment Show.